Let's just do it. Hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Frank Bate. And I'm Edgar Clentine. <laughs> welcome to The Academy. I'm actually Don. That's Patrick. Yeah. We're, I'm not- <laughs> you understand what the hell that meant, you know, and... 45 minutes or so, give or take, <laughs> however long it takes us to get through the first movie. Welcome to The Equalizer, the f- part one of the Antoine Fuqua story. Antoine Fuqua, a recurring figure on the show. I think he's come up in a variety of different ways. Mostly, I think, when we were talking about the on the Dangerous Minds episode, but also mm-hmm. um, a beloved Academy Academy fan favorite film. Uh, Brooklyn's finest. Ooh, yes. What are the what are the greats? What are the greats? Just uh, <laughs> if you want to see Richard Gere at his absolute most depressed, that movie yeah. is for you. Just yeah, it, that movie it, it starts the races early. Yeah, yeah, it's just early and often. <laughs> yeah, you are just like you are. You, you watch like the first five minutes of that movie, and you're like, okay, I know what I'm in for. Not the most subtle film ever made. Uh, no. <laughs> a bit of a sledgehammer of a film, a bit. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I think that might be kind of how our 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 dude does it. Like yeah. I don't think I think that's his style. Is he just goes hard all the time? He's a maximalist. <laughs> he is a maximalist. Like, boy, a um, couple wild ones this week. Oh Let's man, put it yeah. that way. Yeah, um, one a successful if um. Minor key action picture, and the other one a um freight train <laughs> of a picture. Yeah, it's a a real it's a real locomotive, folks. Yeah. It's heading right for you. It, yeah, well, um, you know, what's the one with ah boy movies? They're all getting in my head. The uh, oh, it was um. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill last night had a lot of train metaphors. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what I was trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Antoine Fuqua um, is a um, another filmmaker. You know, he was born May 30th, 1965 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, making him 57 years young. Kind of right in that wheelhouse, though, of a lot of the guys we're talking about. Michael Bay, David Fincher, um, that kind of era that dudes who born in the born in the sixth born usually from around the year 1960 to 1970 i do use the word dudes unfortunately again sorry sorry uh, sorry uh but i'm i was not running hollywood in the 1990s mm. if i was mm. you could blame me for this that's true i take the blame if hypothetically i am <laughs> in charge of hollywood in the in the in the late 80s to late 90s i'm not uh so they are all pretty much dudes, but they all came out of this world of 
propaganda films mm. into anonymous content, music video directors. Um, Fuqua um, graduated from Taylor Allardyce High School in 1983. He studied electrical engineering, and he was hoping to go on to fight, uh, fly, fight, uh, fighter plane like a Top Gun type guy. Ooh! But he got into um, got into movies. Mm. And, um, you know, I, he, one of his key influences, he loves Kurosawa. Films. Yeah, I read that. He's like a big Kurosawa head, which is kind of, it's interesting. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And you could kind of like, like he's such a, like, like, I think like, um, what separates him from our other guys of this next realm, the nineties guys, is that like, he's not a, um. Maximalist horn dog, like Michael Bay. Yes, <laughs> and he's not a. He does not have delusions of grandeur or none. He's not. Yeah, I don't think David Fincher is delusional in his right. attempts at grandeur, but he has a like. Definitely has this like higher plane he's shooting for. Antoine Fuqua was interested in like action and like men of action. Mm-hmm. And kind of men in conflict type pictures, and much like Kurosawa, in that vein, and in the same vein that Kurosawa could bounce between a Seven Samurai to a high and low, to a bad sleep well, to a you know, he could do like a noirish kind of movie, or he could do the samurai, right kind of movie. And I think like if you look at movies like, you know, everything replacement killers, Training Day. Even movies like Tears of the Sun or King Arthur or Brooklyn's Finest, they all kind of have, they are all men in action, men making choices kind of pictures. Oh, for sure. And they like, uh, yeah, it is 100% his wheelhouse is uh, kind of like complicated men, or sometimes not complicated, just men in general, just like kind of getting dirty, getting in the thick of it. Uh, deeply, I, deeply, I, deeply masculine films, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it is. Yeah, that is like a, it is 100 percent. Does he have it? I don't even think he has films that aren't from the male POV. I'm looking at it. I mean, I don't honestly think our first movie. That we're doing today. Might be. Just uh, taking a quick glance here. Mm-hmm. The closest we come. Ooh. Although I will say Emancipation. Uh, the person, let me see, the actor's, the uh, actress's name, uh, Charmaine uh, Bingua, she's really good in Emancipation, playing uh, Dodien, uh, Will Smith's character, Peter's wife. Uh, I'm oh. actually excited to see Emancipation with you, just because I, I want to... I'm saving it. I yeah, did not I w- see it last year when it came out, and now that it's it's going to be on our schedule, I'm not even I'm not getting near it until game time. Yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to, because I thought it was good. I, that's my little stinker pick. I like that movie. Well, so in terms uh, of like getting back to kind of like that one seems to be, although I think that there are others. I think Brooklyn's Finest. I think even Southpaw or The Guilty. Mm-hmm. One could argue he was kind of gunning for that awards type thing but i think he's a little too much of um and there's nothing wrong with this i think he's a little too much of a blunt like a sledgehammer filmmaker 
like I think to get in that awards realm, I think a softer touch might be necessary. But who cares? We don't need we don't need everyone to have a soft touch. That is true. I do so sometimes. Sometimes it's not the best to be a sledgehammer, but sometimes that's like fun. That makes a movie like interesting and weird. Like if you're like being really crazy and like if you're being really like just upfront about what you're saying, that can be that can work to your advantage. So he has an interesting oeuvre. I'm this is gonna be a fun uh I'm excited about this uh little mini series like the the tenth mini series we're doing for this uh yeah. this project of ours. And I was just reading he he came from um a tougher background than mm. some of our some of our other guys. You know, we didn't get to go to like fucking Wesley and like Michael Bay or something like that. Although uh, Michael so... Bay may be the illegitimate son of John Frankenheimer, as we've brought up before. Yeah. Um Wesley and or what uh, Michael Bay would have probably called it PCU. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like the David's no, he's not David's he's definitely Jeremy Piven in that situation <laughs> oh no oh, michael it is very very funny <laughs> that we are still like they brought this up on chapo trap house a few weeks ago but that we are still living in pcu like that is still the stupid argument everyone on both sides are having it's like god it's all we got it's all we got yeah it's so depressing so... Anyway, <laughs> all we've got. Yep. Sorry. Oh God, Sorry, sorry. Folks. That's all we have. Oh, That's all we got. That's all we got. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's it. Antoine Fuqua, um, you know, almost like in a even rougher than that Scorsese, um, shot when he was 15 years old. Wow. And changed his life, and he had to was couldn't like hang out because he was literally recovering, <laughs> and it kept him off the streets. And he started going to movies, basically. And it wow. like opened his eyes and um said movies gave him better appreciation for life and the people around him and everything like that, which is wow, power of movies, right? That's what Yeah, the... that is that's genuinely cool. That is like yeah. uh and it's yeah, and it's also like uh it's like yeah, that you know what? Like it's a uh POV. I feel like the POV tends to be more PCU grads than not. So it's nice when someone like sneaks well, in that isn't like from that perspective necessarily. We've, we've talked about this before and how it drives us nuts with like in TV. It is all like, yeah, like harp, like right school, right school, lanyard, homework, ding dongs. Mm, lanyards. Like how it, there was a time, I probably through the end, I think through the end of like 2000. Mm-hmm. Where a lot more people could find their way in if mm-hmm. they, you know, obviously you have to get breaks no matter what, but like different voices, different upbringings. Now it's like Harvard Mafia, God. like nonstop. And yeah, but I think it's reflected in like how every show and even movies to a certain extent seem to like, what was. <sighs> Who gives a crap about writers' rooms, and why do writers' rooms come up on like every show now? Like, yeah, it is like it's become very navel gazy so yeah. much. It is just like yeah, like there. It reminds me of like there felt like there was like a like a five year span from like twenty fifteen to twenty twenty where like every comedy kind of involved like a scene in an improv space or whatever. Yeah. And it's like 
sometimes sometimes you can make that work and make sense. Like it's it was really funny in that one episode, The Office, for example. That was, that was like that the one time that was like the first time they did it. And it yeah. was in character because Steve Carell's guy like would take improv classes. Yeah, and it made would be sense. bad at and would be bad at them. Yeah, it wasn't shoehorned in like it felt like all these shows. Well, it's because everything's just become like, and it's like fucking like I think everyone wants to like wanted to like mimic that show Louie, where like it's just oh it's just stand up and this is what it's really like to be a stand up and like the the lesson everyone got from that is like oh it's interesting to follow a comedian. Guess what? It's not. It's not. No. Follow something else. Write about a doctor. Fuck you. I know. Anything. (laughs) Anything, anything, any, anything but anything but the business. Jesus I know. Christ! I know. Like, put a ban on that. And you know, you know who's never done this shit? Antoine Fuqua's never made a bullshit movie like that. Hell yeah, and he never will because he's he like he's like, down to earth. He knows how to. He knows what people want, and it's like weird action I know. stuff. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it is weird action movies. Like, <laughs> Very weird action movies. That's what so, people want. Like a lot of guys, you know, he's got a good eye. He's like got a good fast paced stylish eye which of course in the late 80s early 90s leads you directly to music videos mm-hmm. um looking at some of his music videos i'm not like he worked with prince he worked with the rest of element he worked with stevie wonder of uh, tony braxton like a lot of um kind wow. of r and b stuff mm-hmm. it seems he did direct in 2007 three doors down citizen soldier <laughs> music video oh my goodness <laughs> i remember remember playing with a newbie before movies in 2007 <laughs> i gotta say man we saw new scream the other night and um i don't think that there's any greater hustler in hollywood than maria menounos who is yeah. like kept a career by showing up before movies yeah like for years She's All been, she it seems like rules. it seems like she's been there for 50 years. Well, and she looks the exact same. She seems like the exact same youthful effervescent as she's excited about everything from soda to the new Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love soda. Yeah, just like <laughs> make sure you get the biggest soda possible before Transformers. <laughs> and here's three <laughs> doors down. What? Like, I was just like, man, bravo to you. You are a hustler. Somehow you have made a career out of being like being inoffensive enough that you don't bother anyone for 50 years before movies start, despite the fact no one wants to watch these commercials before movies start. All the trivia you do, if you've seen like four movies, you are good at this trivia. Mm. It's not hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, what's not what's crazy too is I, uh, God, I was getting gas at like either Shell or like 76. She She's like there too. Yeah, she's, she's everywhere. Yeah. Good for her. She's make that make that money, lady. Make that paper. You know, make that paper. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to your podcast about mental health one day, maybe. No, like that's like in there now. And both Jen and I like like what? Like we kind of like did a double like what? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of sick that she was able just to get her podcast plug into the. Yeah, I wonder like how much do you make from being the host of Newbie for fifty years. I don't, I don't know. know. I feel like she probably could live off it. I don't know. Was she like, and maybe this is like uh, showing my ignorance. Was Maria Menounos ever like an actor? Actor? I think she had to have been at first, like okay. in that realm. But I like, it's like, 
it really is. Every time you walk in, I feel like I am not at Regal. Mm. I'm not at an AMC. If I don't get like 10, 7 to 10 minutes of newbie. Yeah. Before before I can do 22 like... minutes of trailers. Oh, Jen God. timed it... it before Scream. She timed it. She was like, 22 really? minutes of trailers. Oh my god, it is crazy. Like it's gotten we're getting we're getting out of control here. We gotta we gotta cut tamper down MC simmer settle. Tamper down. Although I got a I got a question for you, Patrick, before we get back to Antoine. Before it's a few months off for a Halloween episode, do we just want to um watch all the scream movies and rank them? Yes, that is what Let we're us gonna know do. at uh if you think that, that is a great idea or a just terrible, stupid idea. Check in with us at the Academy, Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Let us know. You've got six months. Yeah. Is your favorite uh, scre- <laughs> is your favorite screen movie the first one? Is your favorite the third one? Because uh, well, Jay and Silent Bob cameo? Let this, us know. This new one when what's her when Hayden Panettiere, most most known as the coach's daughter from Remember the Titans, of course. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most known. When she showed Nothing up, else. Jen was like, Is she memorable? I'm like, Oh, you're not a Scream 5 head. Or Scream 4. Scream 4. Scream 4. Scream 4 head, which apparently there are Scream 4 heads out there because this oh. one seems to be related pretty closely to Scream 4. I will say, friend of the show, uh, Maria Walsh Cole, her favorite uh, Scream is Scream 4. She's a hardcore Scream 4 head. She's a Screamiac. Uh, I'd like to know more about that because. It's not my favorite. But <laughs> there we go. I like it. I like it. The sparks are flying. The sparks are flying already. <laughs> anyway, back to Antoine Fuqua. So, but the thing he did that in 1995 that kind of set him on the road to a sensational cinematic film career is he did direct the Gangster's Paradise video from Coolio, as discussed in our Dangerous Minds episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, here's a Antoine Fuqua quote the movie became a big hit and Jerry Bruckheimer was kind enough to give me a lot of credit because they used my music video um, and you know as we kind of discussed the music video is more memorable than the film Dangerous Minds is <laughs> Hundred <laughs> Like, I think we could probably tell you more about like the like why is that guy so sweaty in the music video? <laughs> like, we got a lot more interesting things. Why she shows yeah. up, flips the chair around, gets in Coolio's face. We know, but we know it. We love it. The movie, yes. the song's great. The song's the best part of the movie. And the, yes, the music video is very memorable. So um, Jerry Bruckheimer was nice enough to like talk it up in the press and say, you know, Antoine Fuqua was our. Um, you know, he did a great job. You know, that co-sold, you know, Dangerous Minds, a very middling, you know, <laughs> high school movie, <laughs> basically. Um, but I guess um, because people in Hollywood are wonderful. Here's mm-hmm. what Andrew, he goes. The irony was that people thought I was a, the new French film director. Yeah. <laughs> no one had any idea I was from, like some dude from Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh he's walking through people would, like ask him to go get coffee and he goes no no i'm the director and he said i loved watching their faces turn that's cool. he's like that was a good time so good on you antoine fuga for getting those stupid hollywood executives who did no research and no work to find out who you were <laughs> 
to make him feel bad. You yeah, should. Make him feel shame and bad. Good for you. Uh, man, I'm on. See, I'm on. I'm on Team Fuqua. I'm yeah. on. You're, you. This is like endearing me to this guy. I like. I like. Uh, he's overcome I, I, some stuff. He's like making these suits feel weird. I like it. Dude works. He's yeah. Like he's done. Like and he works nonstop. Too. Yeah. Like he like he's like a total hustler. And you gotta yeah. like that. He gets the job done, you know. He gets uh, he in he, they keep they keep coming back. Yeah, and you know, I think he's. I think the other thing too that he seems to have done is he you know, develop relationships with, in particular, like Denzel Washington, Mark Wahlberg, and Jake Gyllenhaal. I've worked with yeah. him multiple times, which I think helps helps one's cause to get stuff. Get stuff. That's a good. When that's you've a good got secret. Good, when you've got good at like actors or good or good. Um, that's a raid. Right. Uh, quite a scale <laughs> there. Um, but <laughs> I knew Antoine Fuqua was in it. I think he's that cab driver who is shooting at them in bait, by the way. Really? I think that was him. Yeah. If I'm not and, mistaken, man, I can't even remember Sorry. that part. Yeah, I know. We'll get to it's, it. Bait, bait I, is I, I, bait's a yeah. journey, folks. Yeah, we'll I talk made the, about it in a moment here. I made the foolish choice to watch this like really early in the week, and so like <laughs> I feel like there are definitely like parts of my brain. I feel like uh, the protagonist in Flowers for Algernon slowly losing <sighs> my bait memories. Yeah, it was a dream <laughs> that you, it's hard to imagine it being real. But yeah, he's he's developed a relationship. He he's a continue. You know, he hustles nonstop. He makes a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Comparably to some of his, you know, even his peers like Fincher or whatever, you know, and I think he moves on fast because like, you know, makes even recently, you know, from 2021 to 2023, he's directed, you know, heading toward four films, Mm. you know, and I think because like, yeah, and I think it's not going to stop me. He does have the Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington coming out later this year very year and then his next film after that is going to be the sure to be um received um without any bumps in the road uh michael jackson biopic antoine no (laughs) antoine you know produced uh starring michael jackson's nephew and uh produced with the um blessing of the michael jackson estate which means, um, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, oh boy. Oy, oy, oy. I, I, you know, uh, that is a prickly topic that is beyond the Academy Academy. Well, I think we'll yeah. put it that way, and I think we will probably be done with this series prior to the release of um, that film. That film. So yeah, we, we could dodge that bullet better than other folks can. <laughs> yeah, we can dodge it better than. Uh... Half the people in replacement killers. Indeed. Like, yeah. I want to give one very fun fact, though. Mm. Antoine Fuca co-created a comic book series called After Dark Ooh. with Wesley Snipes. Oh, my God. It Very, very cool. <laughs> is, is it about vampire? It feels like that has to be about vampires. It is a dark science fiction. Ooh. Um. Here's a plot synopsis. Then we will get into our first movie. The series is set in a post-apocalyptic near future in which the Earth exists in a state of near perpetual 
darkness. Civilization has largely become confined to domed cities in which the populace exists in a state of drug-addled stupor in order to while away the time between birth and death. The rulers of Solar City, the most populated of humanity's remaining bastions, enlist a Bedouin drifter, simply named Omar, to lead a team into the wilds outside the city in search of the savior they believe may exist somewhere in the sparsely populated wilds. This came out in the year 2010, three issues. Mm. I I want to see the hear about the exploits of Omar. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, and the cover just says Fuqua Snipes. I'm in. Yes. I'm in. I'm in. But before he could go on to co-create in 2010 the comic book series After Dark, he had to direct a few movies to get famous enough for something like After Dark to get greenlit. Mm. Antoine Fuqua is hired after. The six, you know, music video success. We've seen it before. We'll see it again on the Academy Academy to direct a film entitled The Replacement Killers. The Replacement Killers is an action film that was released on February 6th of 1998 by Sony Pictures Releasing. The Replacement Killers uh, shot downtown Los Angeles. Um, basic story of the replacement killers is that a a um world's probably greatest assassin who's actually been hoodwinked into it because he has a heart he's he's being blackmailed into being the world's greatest assassin is hired for a final final job Hmm. to kill a cop who is um harassing a triad gang in los Hmm. angeles but our assassin has a change of heart when he discovers the cop playing with his son. Yeah, playing uh, sock, sock, basket, sports? Something. Sports. Something? Sports with his son. <laughs> which leads him to not do the kill, which leads the triad to say, not only do we want to kill this cop, we also want to kill this guy, sending in the titular replacement killers Ooh. to do so. Our lead, Our lead hero needs to get out of Los Angeles, save his family back in Hong Kong and he, with the help of a um, tough-as-nails forger mm. and passport maker. He has to do so. That's essentially our film in The Replacement Killers. One thing I love about The Replacement Killers is it's not hard. It's very, no. very simple. This is... Uh, you do not have to really... You do not have to think too hard. You don't have to, like, there's not, like, a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. This guy just wants to see his family. So beyond this film being a, um... Antoine Foucault's debut, the biggest deal probably to hardcore North American action movie fans is this is the North American slash Hollywood debut of... Chow Yun Fat. Wow. Patrick, I'm a bit older than you. You were around. Chow Yun Fat was a figure. Yeah. You crowd crouching tiger, hidden dragon. You know, you're like the bulletproof monk himself. The the bulletproof monk himself. (laughs) For those of us in the 1990s, the Quentin Tarantino pilled youth of the early 1990s, 
Chayan Fat was this figure of talk discussed in hushed tones because it was all about getting copies of Hard Boiled and The Killer and Bullet to the Head and Bullet in the Head and the John Woo movies, basically. And hearing like, oh, you like Die Hard? Oh, you like Under Siege? Well, there's this shit going on in Hong Kong that's going to like blow you away. And it's kind of referenced in True Romance. It's like he references it. Tarantino references it in all of oh, those wow. early movies and that kind of thing. Like a Jackie Brown, Sam Jackson's like, everybody want to get 245s after they saw the killer, you know? And so I said, so we like, we sought them out. We rented mm-hmm. them all on video. And we were like, holy crap, they are as good. Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone says these are incredible. I mean, when these play at the New Beverly to this day, they sell out almost immediately. Like, oh, yeah. They are the gold standard. And Cheyenne Fat is the gold standard of, like, gun heroic violence, heroic bloodshed. Cool guy. Like, there's a reason everyone wanted, like that these movies pop beyond John Woo's incredible action is he's awesome. Yeah. Know? He's like a very charismatic, like he doesn't have to say anything to be charismatic. Yeah. He's, he's like a man of few words and he still pops. Although like one thing I will say, Chow Yun fat being in this movie, it kind of like reminds me of when like David Beckham went joined the LA galaxy. Yeah. In a sense, yeah. it, it totally feels like, you like, know, yeah. Well, it's like any like any of the, like the guy. Yeah, you're right. Like you could say that for any of the like guys they brought into the MLS, just in general. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you're like 38 now. Yeah, still, like you still have some moves, but like you're not 29 anymore. You're not like at like the absolute peak of your game. Yeah, a hundred percent. Not not saying that's not like any crazy like. Chaoyun Fat's still great in this, but it 100% does feel like, like, you know, you've done your hard-boileds. Yeah. We'll give you something a little easier. This is a replacement killer, so you don't have to do as much in America. You're not going to, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have, yeah. what's the same deal, like, like the U.S. Jackie Chan movies? Mm-hmm. The, like, Rush Hour compared to Police Story. Oh, yeah. Like, Rush Hour's fun, but it's not Police Story. Never, yeah, He's exactly. Not throwing himself off of like four story balconies and shit like that. No, it's almost like, yeah, this is like a good, like, uh, it's like, hey, it's your time to like relax a little bit. Like, you're still doing some crazy stunts, don't get me wrong, but you, you don't have to worry about your life getting risked every day. And then yeah. you're gonna make a boatload of cash <laughs> and you're gonna make way more money. But it was still like, this is like, you know, this is how the movie was promoted. It's like mm-hmm. the first Hollywood movie from Action God. Chalian Fat. Ah, oh, that's interesting. And this movie is executive produced by John Woo in mm. court, and the are the action scenes are supposedly choreographed by John Woo. Unfortunately for Antoine Foucault, the action scenes are the star of this entire movie. Yeah, like everything <laughs> else, God only knows what's going on. Um, but it's still like. So, and then it should also be noted, also starring in this movie, uh, Mira Servino plays Meg Coburn. Uh, mm. Chayanne Fat, whose character is a, the simply named John Lee. 
yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah it's it's like uh, uh yeah yeah keep it simple <laughs> stupid um yeah. but mira Sarina, she plays the passport forger who becomes his kind of partner in crime i gotta say too you know jumping ahead a little bit i love an east meets west airport goodbye ending you remind me of black rain Ooh, it's like a reverse black rain. A reverse black rain. <laughs> Another one like you were talking about with Meet Joe Black last week. Further away we get from black rain. Guess who loves black rain? This guy. Yeah, it rules. Black rain's like <laughs> yeah. that motorcycle fight. That's crazy. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Michael Douglas as an action star? Sure. Okay, all why of, not? All of, all of my stupid gripes about black rain are drifting like tears in the rain. Just drifting away. And now all I have are good memories. <laughs> <laughs> good double feature, too, if you want Black Rain and Replacement Killers. Oh, man. Yeah. A good East-West, East meets West double. Um, and then the cop who Chow Yun-Fat cannot kill. The far more excellently named Detective Stan Zito Zedkov. Insane. <laughs> Great name. Zedkov. Love it. Do you Is think played- that... Academy Academy hero Michael Rooker is back on the show this week. You this think he was supposed to be like a Russian goatee. mobster? I think he's like, despite what is he Polish? Zedkov? It feels like that's like Russian. It's just or maybe it is Polish. It must be Polish. It has to be Polish. Should, Zedkov, the movie, should the movie have been set in Chicago? Maybe. That would make more sense. I feel like yeah. LA is a weird place to there's have no a Zedkov. Triad, but there's no there's no triad in Chicago. That's true. Yeah, there's no triad in but Chicago. But this is I, what I love. Um, got a very multicultural gang in this movie. Yeah. Like, if if you are like a top notch goon, you are invited. You can join this triad. <laughs> like, because we got goons, <laughs> we got goons for days in this movie. <laughs> um, the triad is led by Kenneth Zhang, who plays uh, Terrence Way, Beard, mm-hmm. all across Los Angeles. His number two guy, though, Michael Kogan, is played by Jurgen Prock now, who many Academy Academy uh, listeners will remember the bad guy from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, Back another the game. Yeah, he's having fun. He gets to. I love. Uh, I love this era of films where, like, it's like you need a bad guy, find a stern, uh, a stern, taciturn German. Yeah, find some. If they were in DOS boot, they're in, basically. Yeah. Um, so my friend of the show, Sean, uh, texted me. He goes, "Is the Beverly Hills Gun Club from Beverly Hills Cop Two still around?" Sub question: Should we try and go? <laughs> it's like one. Let's check it out. Yeah, it turns out it's been closed. It's it got no. shut down. Yeah, but like remember from the Tony, the Don Simpson book, like Don Simpson was like firing guns with like Michael Mann and Sean Penn and shit like that in the late eighties, early nineties. I would, yeah, I wish we could go and discover if that place is still around or what the deal with that was. Great historical relic. I know. Um, yeah. And the titular replacement killers. Talk a couple of heavy hitters. Um, Till Schweiger is Riker. Ooh. And Danny Trejo as Collins. They are great. They're they awesome roll. in this. And it's just so basically like this movie is a lean tight 87 minutes mm-hmm. in length. 
doesn't stop. Giant Fat's on the run. He's got to save his family back in Hong Kong. He's got to save the day. He develops a friendship. I like that it's not even a romantic thing. They just have a bond with yeah. Servina. We don't need a um. We don't need a, a romantic subplot. They just got to go do cool stuff. Um, Servino is a woman of honor. Woman of honor and skill. She's good at like and gun skill. stuff. She <laughs> is. She is good at gun fu. She is like yeah. good, and she also has like. It's like uh, we're in like the Blade era of crazy like alternative outfits. Like I feel like. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um. Both of these movies in the heart of that Blade Matrix zone. Yeah. Leather jackets over like sports bras and leather pants. Like are is the is the fashion of the day. You did you ever see it in real life? Never. <laughs> no. Never once. <laughs> Not at all. No one ever no one has ever worn these clothes in this manner for like on purpose. Is it is it a, is it a world of sunglasses all the time? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Is the techno music throbbing? Is the um title sequence always that like being typed into a computer really fast like bait yes it is the bait title sequence is like five minutes long oh god anyway we can we're gonna get to it we're clearly excited to talk about bait um replacement killers one that's the nice thing about replacement killers it's like nothing to write home about but it's a nice time yeah which means we don't have a shit ton to say about it really <laughs> it's not really like yeah there's like a suitcase gun uh that was cool uh, i will say though like it does start a trend that i remember from other antoine fuqua movies like it's interesting and i don't know we could kind of talk about the psychology of this mm-hmm. he has in his movies a lot of gratuitous collateral damage to innocent bystanders getting yeah. like brutally killed. And the one that sticks out this one that he saves by having Chow Yun Fat break on a power slide with his gun, mm. which is badass, is that poor woman in the parking garage. Oh, I this forgot. Bl- this like that. random blonde woman is like backing her car out, and Danny Trejo and Till Schweiger are just. They just blast her car because Chow Fat's like sliding underneath of it. Mm-hmm. And she gets shot with full squibs like seven or eight times. And you're it's... like, whoa. There's a part of me that's like, like I'm taking a step back. I'm like, that's a little. Like, you had to rig this like day player with all these squibs for this huge sequence when you really could have had him slide under a parked car. And do the same cool move. Yeah, it it, it feels like an unnecessary <laughs> civilian death. Like, and he does but, the same it, in bait with that truck driver at the beginning of the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like it's so gratuitous that even me, who had like we've said it, we love squibs, we love we love like the, the effects and stuff like that. But it's like that's a lot. Like, if Dad's going to take a step back, like, i got to think about this for a second. I mean, here's, like, the thing. I feel like my take on it is, like, if you're doing that, then it needs to feel like a choice. 
So it's yeah. like interesting. Like it needs to be like, okay, so like, and I guess you could make the argument of like, you know, these two replacement killers will stop at nothing to get Chow Young fat, even if it means shooting the innocent. But like, it's, it is just kind of like, it feels very like, it does feel like a little, uh, uh yeah, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Although, and I remember um, in, um, because the one that sticks out, because I almost turned it off, was in 2013 when I rented Olympus Has Fallen, which we will be covering at some point here soon. Oh, man, There's I a don't part know where like, people are just getting blasted in that one. And <laughs> you remember that came out in a similar time period as White House Down. We had ourselves a Armageddon Deep Impact situation mm-hmm. but this time it was the white house being taken over by terrorists that came out in the same summer but like white house down was so like that was a roland emmerich it was like milk toast olympus's fall was so violent and r-rated and like mean-spirited <laughs> that's what generally does kind of rule about antoine fuqua the equalizer is, that... is like there's that sequence at the end i can't wait to cover where they're in like a home depot and Denzel Washington's just like coming up with stuff that they have at a Home Depot to kill bad guys with. <laughs> it's like that rules. See, that's like yeah, but there's gonna be like I think we're gonna feel this way like a queasiness all the way through. Yeah, and, the, and, and it the, might uh... be, and it might be that he is actually one of the few directors like Michael Bay has never seen violence in his life, like mm-hmm. true violence. Anton Fuqua definitely has. Mm. He's witnessed it and per- personally felt it. And perhaps that leads to his movies having like um, a harder edge when it that's, comes to this kind of thing. That's actually really interesting. And it kind of puts the when you say it like that, it does kind of put the bystanders getting shot in a new context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that is. It's an interesting. Um, there's like a weight to what's happening. Yeah, there there is, despite the as fact silly he's as silly as it can be sometimes. And I think that's also kind of what makes you a little makes it complicated because he's also coming at it so hard as a music video director, the flash and like style. The yeah. over the like sledgehammer style of mm-hmm. the MTV era. He is actually though like the epitome of what people like him and Bay are so the epitome of what people complained about in the nineties of like it's too MTV. <laughs> it's too you frenetic. Know? It's too frenetic. It's yeah, because like even like this one, but then Bait is like pushes it on like and I think he adjusts for his third film mm-hmm. a little more on it. Um but yeah, replacement killers. I didn't see it, by the way, when it came out. This was my mm-hmm. first time seeing it. Was this your first time seeing it? First time seeing it. 100%. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a fun time. I recommend. Yeah. I recommend it. Uh, we should note. Um, written by Ken Sanzel, cinematography by Peter Lyons Collister, who um, kind of a journeyman. Very next year, he uh, directed uh, Deuce Big. He was the director of photography on Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. <laughs> Looks like he did some time with the Happy Madison. <laughs> community okay i'm glad he got it there's a lot a lot of kids movies after Uh. that he did it (laughs) helping of the chipmunks (laughs) um and then uh edited by jay cassidy who has gone on to edit a lot of a lot of um i think david o russell uh done some david o russell yeah he well i mean he did yeah 
David O. Russell, and he did Sean Penn movies. Done oh, a lot wow. of big, a lot of big stuff. But Ooh, yeah, did, did Fury. Yeah, yeah did Fury. Um, did Star Is Born? My guess is he's probably editing um, the upcoming Maestro from mm. Bradley Cooper's uh, big Leonard Bernstein biopic follow-up to Star Is Born. The gotta, hand, gotta hand it that guy, man. That guy is like playing with house money, and he's like going for it. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, you know what? He knows he's not going to get this shot again, probably. You know, we'll talk about delusions of grandeur, but you gotta love him. Like, he's like that guy's like. I was the guy who got fucked by Michael Ian Black in White on American Summer. <laughs> yeah, I was the guy now who was I, like, I have a no tour. I was like yeah, the, I was the generic. <laughs> I was the generic bad boyfriend in Wedding Crashers. I know for like five years, I was like my job. I played a prick. Yeah, like, God bless him. That guy rules. What yeah, I, I, it rules. And you know what? Look, he has delusions of grandeur, grandeur, but he's also uh, willing I to. He, I think he can back it up too. I think he's like, like he's like, I think he's got it, which is cool. I mean, <laughs> he can also. I think he can also like. He's also totally willing to debase himself for the art, like the I... when he pees his pants in like a Star Is Born. Spoiler or alert: anything he does in the third act of Nightmare Alley. Yeah, like <laughs> he he'll go that extra like. I'm I'm like fine with him having his maestros because he'll like he'll go he'll go that extra level for you. He's committed. Mm-hmm. Um. So um, some interesting fun facts about replacement killers. Mm. Um. Antoine Fuqua stressed to his team to design a taxi driver for the '90s. That was his entire like stylistic. I'm like, it's interesting how you can like take that. Like it, like how your personality wins out no matter what, because it doesn't feel at all like Taxi Driver. Yeah, like, well, none of these characters are. There's, I guess, like, is Mira Savino supposed to be the the Robert De Niro character? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, so, maybe um, he just met the world of Taxi Driver. I guess that makes sense, sort of. Interesting fun fact: um, she, Mira Savino, majored in Asian studies at Harvard. She speaks Mandarin. In the late 80s, lived in Beijing for eight months. Wow. And she's a Hong Kong action film head. So she knew, like, Chow Yun Fat and shit like that. I already. That rules. That's so good. And um, she wanted to make a film in Mandarin and working with a Chinese director. And she thought this was like, well, it's close enough to start with, basically. <laughs> and. Um, Prior to started filmmaking, she'd blown out her voice from screaming doing reshoots for Yamo Del Toro's film Mimic. Mm. And like Fuqua liked how hoarse her voice was, so he told her to keep it all the way through the shoot. Wow. <laughs> Which required her to yell prior to every day's shoot to keep her voice burnt out. Which is tough. Oh my god. Yeah. Tough. She 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 like you know, she's like committed in this movie. Like for what she little is, her yeah. character has, she's like I actually genuinely liked her performance. Uh and she's got great chemistry with China. Yeah. And like I like this movie because it's like it is straightforward. It's not pretentious. It's just trying to be a good action movie with great goons, great fights, fun times. It's like the humor is not forced. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have stupid humor. And, they, mm-hmm. and it, but also has weird moments. So let's get to it. The weirdest moment of the entire movie. Chow Yun Fat has got his rifle scope on Michael Rooker, 
Yeah. Michael Rooker's great in the movie, by the way. As usual. Yeah, he, he, like, there should be a uh, a Rush Hour ripoff with Chow Yun-Fat and Michael Rooker. Yeah, he's great. He's terrific. Yeah. He's like gruff detective. He could do it in his sleep. He gets some great chase stuff. He does like a leap over a car at one point, which reminded me almost of Wesley Snipes' jump kick in um, Boiling Point. Ooh. Also, I would I would say uh, this would be a good double with Boiling Boiling Point. I think that would yes. you'd, have a, you'd have a fun night watching these two together as well. <laughs> uh, Rooker's great, but so Chayan Fat's got him in his rifle sight, and he gets Rooker gets out of his car, mm-hmm. parks in front of a house, might be his house. Hard to say. Hard to say. Doesn't, Who knows? Who is to say? Rooker has a soccer ball in hand. He greets his son. They proceed to start dribbling the soccer ball like a basketball, and then he hands the ball to his son, and his son dunks it. Like, he picks him up and dunks it through a basketball hoop. I'm like, so on the day of production, do they get there, and they're like, we don't got a fucking feel. We got a pavement. We got a hoop. But we didn't buy a basketball. Big Five isn't open yet. <laughs> like, fuck, I just used the soccer ball. And I was texting Patrick. I'm like, I'm just, like, perplexed by this. It's like... He bought him a soccer ball, but he treats it as a basketball. It's weird, right? It is like it's up there with the the infamous, you know, football passing sequence in the room as one of the more yeah. peculiar. Like, like, what are we this, doing with this, this ball? This comes up a lot, and I love that movie. Um, they came together. The David Wayne Kent uh, Michael Showalter romantic comedy spoof. I where love they do that the movie. scene where um. Paul Rudd goes to play basketball with his friends, and it's like Ken Marino and like uh, Keenan Thompson, Jack and, and they're like just like like clearly trying to portray that they have never touched a basketball before in their life. They're missing <laughs> every shot that they take. It's so funny. <laughs> it's it's so like making fun of this trope that like they're guys. They kind of like sports, but they're also actors who've never been near sports before in their life. Like my favorite story of Tom Cruise coming to a Super Bowl party with a football. Like he got invited to like Jamie Foxx's Super Bowl party and he oh brought a football God. with him. This Why? Is like, yeah, I know it's like <laughs> It's like, no, none of these guys are sportos. And it, except for like the psychos like Ben Affleck, who are extraordinary, like almost too intense of sportos. Right, you're Jack Nicholson's. Yeah. But even Jack Nicholson, I bet, cannot ball. Oh, no way. Well, even it well, not at 85, but like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You put you put Jack Nicholson on the paint right now, he's toast. <laughs> it's my favorite story though is um when he first is coming up DiCaprio and his, and his friends, who have a nickname. You can look up what their nickname was. I don't feel like saying it. Oh, yeah, uh, I know. Center this 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 group of uh, louts. This group of like, you know, Tobey Maguire is his number two guy's hitter. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Lucas Haas is like, you know, Lucas kind of in the Haas, background somewhere. And who's the guy from Mad Men and now he's on the Connors? Um, uh, he played Stan on Mad Men. Um, God, he was in Rich, the crew. Rich Summer? Oh, no. Not Turtle, but then, then there was E from Entourage was there oh, in their God. crew. But um, they were like going around town challenging people to basketball games when they weren't at clubs and stuff like that. Oh, God. They challenged Clooney's crew. Clooney's notorious <laughs> crew of dudes. To there's, a game two, of there's two crews? There's two crews. But guess what? Clooney's crew got new it ahead of time. DiCaprio's guys are showboats 
on the basketball court. They're not playing defense. They're not making the chat. They're not doing the fundamentals. Clooney's guy of journeyman, Richard, the Richard Kinds of the world, his 40-year-old and 50-year-old actor friends. <laughs> Guess what they're doing? Fundamentals. They're playing defense. They're getting rebounds. They wipe the floor with DiCaprio's guys. <laughs> Richard Kinds. Uh... Wallace Sean playing basketball the right way. <laughs> yeah, Bob Babylon. I can't believe Michael Rooker wasn't on Clooney's team. <laughs> yeah, he seems like. See, here's the thing. I think what happened was he, he was this is my theory. He was supposed to play soccer. Michael Rooker sees that soccer ball. He sees the basketball hoop. Like it's he's clearly like, like we a, gotta do something here. We got and he, yeah. Michael Rooker is a resourceful actor. We know he's a great actor. He's like yeah. we gotta do something. We gotta make yeah. a move. I make a move. Well, I think he's like I've never played soccer in my life. I'm playing basketball. I'm an American. I don't care what, I'm an oh, American. <laughs> my favorite moment in cl- fucking cliffhanger, which Michael Rooker is in. This soccer player terrorist is like you like soccer, and he's kicking Michael Rooker, and then Michael Rooker takes a shotgun. <laughs> He goes, season's over, asshole. And he <laughs> blows him away and throws him off of a cliff. It's uh, <laughs> pretty love, good. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> Cliffhanger rules. <laughs> oh, man. A Sylvester joint. A st- yeah, a classic Stallone. Um, it's a weird scene. Michael Rooker yeah. does his best with it. But so Replacement Killers, like we said, came out in February of 1998. Kind of a dead zone. Um, came out in the midst of Titanic's run. So, uh, open in second place that weekend because Titanic was still large and in charge. Mm. Um, Replacement Killers made eight million dollars its opening weekend. Titanic made twenty three million that weekend, and it was like like tenth week of release or something. Oh <laughs> Titanic was like so unstoppable, man. Um, Replacement Killers budget was. 30 million it made 39.5 million at the box office which i would declare okay yeah you know kind of a blip and i think it also is like you know chalian fat was a cult figure Mm -hmm. but i think like difference between him as a cult figure and then when they brought over like i'd consider him more like when they brought over gerard depardieu same kind mm. of impact, not the Jackie Chan level impact. I think it's because Jackie Chan is so fucking endearing. Yeah. That he's like, regardless of any language barrier, you're like, he's fun. He's a fun guy. I like Jackie Chan a lot. Yeah, well, it's like, I think Jackie Chan is so, like, broad and, like, truly yeah. for, like, the whole family. Kids At least love, in some of these. Kid, yeah, kids love Jackie Chan. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, all the Shanghai noon and night and all that stuff. Yeah. I think they mm-hmm. did a good job of, like, you know, advertising him as, like, hey, this is, like, all ages. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has got this at a 37%. Ah, a little rude. Chalian Fat makes his dubious English language debut. I don't know, dubious. It's a dubious. Word. In The Replacement Killers, a stylish but muddled knockoff of the Hong Kong shoot 'em ups that earned the star his international renown. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you I that know. sentence. Yeah, I mean, bit. like, we, we described it last night. I was with our friend of the show, Jesse, um, as a higher end Van Dammer, it's like all type movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is at the end of yeah. the day. It's like um, a higher end. Yeah, it's like, like nothing to write home about, but, you know, am- amiable time waster. 
Roger Ebert liked it. Yeah. He says, called it as abstract as a jazz instrumental and as cool and self-assured. Boy, that made All right. a, he had a okay. way with words, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I thought, maybe do you think sometimes he just got kind of bored when he was writing and he was like, okay, let's see what I can do. Let's... I think that like, that I love that Ebert is like, he was like, so like, he was so unpretentious that he could like stroll under replacement killers with an open mind. Like, yeah, I liked it. Like, you know, it's like, it was it was nice. Nice yeah, time. And, he, and he doesn't like do the thing where like uh, it, he has to like couch it and like, look, this is a stupid movie, but like he's willing just to say it's yeah. fun. What he said was what I liked about the film was its simplicity of form and its richness of visuals. There's a certain impersonality about the story. Chow and Sorvino don't have long chats between the gunfire. They're in a ballet of Hong Kong action imagery, bodies rolling out of gun gunshot range, faces frozen in fear, guys toppling off of fire escapes, grim <laughs> lips, the fetishism of firearms, cop car shot to pieces, cops that make dragnet sound talky. That's poetic. That's why. That's how you get a Pulitzer for criticism. Mm. That kind of thing. And um, but yeah, he dug it. One of the few though critics didn't seem like it. Um. The um, in retrospect, Anton Fuqua said, "Race because it was a good and bad experience. It was great because Chow Yun Fat is the coolest guy in the world." Yeah, true. He was just beautiful. Mira Sorvino was cool. It was fun working with Mira. But the difficult thing was learning the studio system, learning all the things that go along with the system. There are a lot of people who have a lot of say, especially when you're young in the studio world. You learn that in the business. I think for me, what I learned was I still love making movies. I know I, what I don't want to do. The thing I learned the most out of that mo movie was what I don't want to do. Good for Ch good for Antoine Fuqua. Ken Sansel, though, wrote screenwriter. So you can see where this is going. <laughs> mm. Script bears very little resemblance to anything that I would have written. Only the bare bones of the plot really survived. I think that that Chow Yun Fat was incredible, but for me, the movie was a series of otherwise bad decisions. I'm glad that people enjoy it, but it really was Antoine Fuqua's sensibility from top to bottom, which is not at all mind. Aside from the fact that we both love the work of Michael Mann, though apparently for very different reasons. <laughs> oh, man. And I think that's, you know, very screenwritery kind of thing. He wanted yeah. to make, he was interested in the Michael Mann that is like, time is look, staring out of windows, looking at the sea. Michael Mann. Yeah. Like and, the introspective uh, Michael Mann. The like diner scene in Thief, Michael Mann. And Antoine Fuqua was interested in the bank robbery from Heat, Michael it Mann. That bank robbery is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty damn good. <laughs> it's a good that bank robbery. Pretty good. There are worse things to be influenced by. We'll put it yeah. like that. Um, Mira Savina said, I love working with Antoine. It was fun to do an action movie. It was like being a kid and playing cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers. And I enjoyed the role of Meg. Thought she was a lot of fun to do. I think yeah. Mira has the best, best idea. Don't think too hard about it. Have a good time. You're in and out. You had your popcorn. You had your soda. And you walk oh, yeah. home happy. This is how movies were in the 90s when we had less to do. You didn't have, they didn't have to. They didn't have to. Just, it didn't have to be hard. Didn't have to be much. You had your soda. You had your movie. And you go home happy. Yep. This was soda cinema. 
soda cinema at its soda, finest. This is yeah. This is a this is canonical soda cinema. <laughs> canonical uh, that's cinema. a uh, Academy Academy trademark. By the way, we'll be we'll start a letterboxed <laughs> list. Of, we'll go through everything we've covered thus far and declare some soda cinema for you. Yeah, next week I will. Uh... <laughs> I will have gone on uh, Adobe and made a, a little uh, T-shirt design, and uh, we'll start selling them. Canonical Soda Cinema. And um, she also mean a film score here was Henry Gregson Williams, another Henry Gregson Williams score for us. Just an unstoppable character. Uh, mm-hmm. let, need I remind you? Spy Game, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, all wow. Henry Gregson Williams um this is an early one. Oh, um worked on the rock as well worked on revenge as well oh um enemy of the state as well just has come up a lot oh um did the um alejandro gonzalez in a retu higher score wow uh <laughs> yeah and we'll come up again literally next week with Kingdom of Heaven. And did mm. Domino. I mean, like, let's just um yeah. He's around. He's a this is this is a character has come up a lot. So um Replacement Killers does well enough. Antoine Fuqua distinguishes himself well enough that old Neri, two years later, he's back in cinemas. In the year 2000, Mm. coming back to a theme from last week's episode, with the action comedy film Bait, released on September 15th of the year 2000. Bait, um, as we have mentioned when we are kind of alluding to this episode, is a movie Patrick and I had not seen, let alone even heard of. And we are both movie heads. We've yeah. done almost 130 of these episodes. I think we've we've proven our bona fides to be yeah. movie heads. We're uh, ensconced in the world of cinema at this we, point. We, we know it's clear. No movies, folks. Yeah. We did not know bait. No. And if you did not know bait, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, just get off your back, man. You can still be a movie <laughs> head too if you don't know yeah. bait. Maybe bait. you don't need to know bait. Maybe you don't need to know bait. Who's to say? I trying to figure out how to dig in here on bait. Bait was developed by Castle Rock Entertainment, um, hmm. the company behind um, Seinfeld. Oh uh, wow! Remember there, and they've done a lot of like Stephen King adaptations. Thus, Castle Rock. Rob Reiner is like the key figure in them uh made a lot of pictures um one of the founders of castle rock entertainment is a fellow by the name of andrew scheinman and he and his brother wrote the original script Mm. interesting thing about his brother adam scheinman pro tennis player played at wimbledon wow before he went into um the world of cinema um Mm. Andrew Scheinman was an executive at Castle Rock, also has his JD from the University of Virginia School of Law, interestingly enough. Um, he wrote the film, he was one of the co-writers on the film North prior to Bait. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with North, North was is a notorious bomb 
from the early 90s that um, I never saw. Um, the Roger Ebert review, though, is probably the most famous thing about mm -hmm. North. And I'll just give you a quick quote. I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. Hated the sensibility that thought anyone would like it. Hated the implied insult to the audience by its belief that anyone would be entertained by it. That review killed North. Wow. Like, that is like a dagger to the heart. Yeah. That is that the is... most powerful critic in America annihilates it. Annihilates it. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is just um blew it out they, of the water. Blew out yeah. of the water. There's a there's a video game. Did you ever play the video game Gears of War, Don? No. I've heard uh, of it. Heard of it, yeah. There's a there's a weapon in that game that's just a giant like particle beam cannon that comes from the sky and it's just like a just a giant beam of light that just incinerates anything it touches, and that's that feels like that's what Roger Ebert did to North. He just he just particle beams this. This happens every once in a while where a critic goes scorched earth on something. Um Yeah. And it's always very like the internet now brings like it becomes a trending topic among like literary Twitter or movie Twitter when someone goes this scorched earth mm -hmm. on something. It's pretty I'm trying to remember there's been a few recently, and it's usually about books or something like that. But like right. and sometimes they go well. Sometimes it comes off like as mean, like when the critic the, the Guy Fieri review in the New York Times. Oh, like yeah. which actually turned everyone to be turned Guy Fieri into a sympathetic figure. Yeah, was like that was this. it was so like it was so mean that suddenly everyone was on like Guy Fieri's side. It was like a, yeah. a backfired on him. Yeah. And there's like even like but even like the other day, like some music critic like really hammered Meg White of the White Stripes on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And it, it, the backlash was so heavy. They had to issue an apology and like quit Twitter. <laughs> oh my but, god which, but I think like that's like the dumb thing about being a um, critic mm -hmm. it's like especially in today's day and age where you can't be mean anymore really yeah. I don't know it's a fool's errand being a critic I don't yeah but Ebert survived it North did not so yeah, well, I think like sometimes I feel like sometimes you can see which side you want to be. be. Like I, I think like I think part of being a critic is being able to read the room a little bit, maybe mm -hmm. I don't know, or like having like a and know, not and like like, and I think that's true. Like North is not a particularly sympathetic thing, but Meg White is a sympathetic person. Yes, guy here. Oh, also, when you target an I like, don't target a person. Target no. a work. That yeah. would be how to do it. Like if like he wasn't saying Rob Reiner who directed North was a monster. <laughs> yeah, <'cause> he's not. <laughs> Although it's like it's it does seem pretty close. He's like, first, like I did hear Seth Rogen say the other day. He's like, you think it doesn't, man? Like I still think about the Green Lantern reviews. <laughs> like, Jesus, no, he owned the is... interview. He was talking about the interview. Like I still think about the interview reviews and oh, stuff man. like that. Like and he's like, it's like you don't want to, but you do. Like. Yeah, they like, like attack you. Some of them they, they, attack you as a human being. 
Like, how could how could any jackass make this? So he's like, well, I'm the jackass like that you're referring to. And it is like, because every movie's it's, a miracle. These yeah. are hard. It's super hard. These are super hard. Everyone worked hard at North. Everyone worked hard at Bait. Yeah. Um, you get back to Bait here. Um, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> we do have to. Um, but sometimes they don't work out. So, um, Andrew Scheinman, because he is an executive at Castle Rock, it's a very powerful production company, produced, mm-hmm. you know, Misery, When Harry Met Sally, Stand By Me, Smashes. Great movies. Yeah. Nonstop great movies. He and his brother take another swing at the plate by writing bait and developing it at Castle Rock. Um, you had told me that uh, originally Eddie Murphy was in line for the lead role of Alvin Sanders in this movie. Uh, ended up going to Jamie Foxx, up-and-comer mm. Mm. in the year 2000. Jamie Foxx had, um, by this point, I think probably best known kind of... Oh, he'd already done... Um, done um any given sunday the year before which is kind of his breakthrough in the movies i think yeah. he'd done in living color and stuff like that well um, and like i think he'd done like booty call before i feel like you yeah. can tell that they still kind of view jamie fox as like a comedic actor yeah like yeah. he's not like the serious he's not the powerhouse post ray fox yeah he is this isn't like the kingdom or miami vice jamie fox yeah. which i think actually would the right call for this movie yeah, is yeah. the more like tough guy action Jamie Fox rather than the whatever whatever Alvin is this wacky movie. wacky broadly wacky I don't know so the basic I'm gonna try my best to oh. sum up this story so the basic story of this film is petty thief two bit hustler fast talking Alvin Sanders gets arrested for stealing you guessed it prawns shrimp from a seafood outlet wait what is this district nine that's oh my gosh like that is crazy shrimp his his partner in crime is perpetual best friend mike epps (laughs) (laughs) having an okay time who's his brother his brother in this picture stevie sanders and mike epps (laughs) always always a bridesmaid never the bride in in movies it's like yeah best friend forever um he goes to jail unfortunately he is sharing a cell with a guy by the name of john delano jaster 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 (laughs) an insane name played by robert pastorelli who is defined by being sweaty and having heart palpitations (laughs) that's his his character trait needs medication first stupid decision from our villain is hiring a guy who is once literally two steps away from having a heart attack at all times. Um, This is the guy we're going to have perform a major robbery with. Turns out Robert Pastorelli is the number two man to a guy named Bristol. We'll talk about this actor in just a moment. Let me get through some plot stuff here first and then we'll talk about this because we probably do need to discuss this actor. <laughs> oh, oh, ooh. Yeah. Who I revealed mm-hmm. to Jen as we were watching it, who was not aware of him. Oh, no. And did not care anymore about the film bait. Only cared about looking into this guy and his sordid story. <laughs> oh, his, the tale of this man. No, Robert it's Pastore- not a good tale. Robert, Robert Pastorelli's story is no less sordid. What? Well. Um, I guess we, why not? 
Uh, Robert Pastorelli um, was a up and coming character actor. He um, from Jersey. He's a clearly a Jersey guy. He's oh, a yeah. Beverly Hills Cop too. Um, mm. Big break though. He kind of came on as a new series regular um, on Murphy Brown. The, oh wow! And he was a big on. He did that, and he started getting like um, like character parts from that point on and kind of was an upcomer. He actually was like led a TV show, got his own show at one point. But on the evening of March 15th, 1999, this is before Babe came out, by the way, his 25 year old girlfriend was killed. Shot. In the oh head. no. Oh no. Um, Pastorelli testified that in the midst of the argument between the two of them, she suddenly produced a handgun and killed herself. That seems a little shady. This is, yeah, this is getting into Robert Blake territory. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, (laughs) Investigated as an accident or suicide, but declared cause of death undetermined. He was exonerated. Um, received public expressions of sympathy from within Hollywood and the Los Angeles media, but his career went into a decline afterwards. Until in the year, March of 2004, he was found dead at the age of 49 in his home of a um, narcotics overdose. Oof. Um, And it was, yeah, declared... um, a review, though, of the original evidence had resulted. Um, so uh, at the time of his death, he had been forewarned that authorities were planning on arresting him for further questioning regarding the shooting. And a review of the original evidence had resulted in her death being reclassified as a homicide. So Jesus Christ. That's dark. Sorry, yeah. folks. That was dark. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, Bateheads. And yet, perhaps just as dark is the story of his co-star, which we'll get into in just a moment. Um, uh, I mean, but that's really like... Maybe Bate, yeah, Bate just... Cursed movie. This is a cursed movie. It's a bit cursed. <laughs> so, uh, but Demonic. back to the story. So what we find out is that he and his uh, partner in crime, Bristol, have mm. robbed the... Um, Federal Reserve of forty-two mm-hmm. million dollars in gold to open the movie. Bristol is injured. Janster has heart palpitations and is utterly fearful because Bristol is not only a computer genius. The guy breaks Netscape. Yeah, he can break into Netscape. He can do it all. Yeah. Uh, not only a computer genius and like mastermind of this, he's also a John Doe level psychopath. Mm. who has no qualms in capping both of the guards and this truck driver to get away. And he talks and he's doing like a stupid Kevin Spacey impression. Yeah. The entire movie. Also, unlike John Doe, like he had, there's no like rhyme or reason or like, there's not like some overarching thing theme with this character. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just a bad impression. It's just a bad impression. And it's clearly, they saw seven. And yeah. they're like, we got to get a guy like that. Yeah. But it's also very hat on hat because if he was a good, if he was like just a computer mastermind, that would mm-hmm. be interesting. If he was just a serial killer, that would be interesting. But being both is dumb. They cancel each other out. 
because that's what this movie is. It's just a lot of that. It's everything mm-hmm. that we've covered before on other movies that they did well, all thrown into a blender in one two-hour movie. Bait is two hours long. Oh, that's long. Too this long. This is like uh, going to like KFC and getting one of those bowls where like they like yeah, mix it's a famous everything. Bowl. Yeah, it's a famous yeah. bowl of a movie. It's a- it's a famous, but then it's like they take it and it's been like sitting out for like two days, and it's so it's kind of like stale. And then like someone is like forcing you to eat the whole bowl, like yeah, it's seven like, style. It's like oh, I bought it, but I wasn't too hungry, so I'm gonna put it in the fridge. I'm gonna heat it up again tomorrow. Ugh. Heat it up, and you're like oh, that's right. You should never heat up fast food because it really reveals itself after a <laughs> mic- after a trip, thirty second trip through a microwave. Oh <laughs> man, yeah, like that 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 chicken skin soggy. Yeah, it begins to show the cracks in the surface of, like, <laughs> of the questionable definition of food. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, this isn't really food as much as it's just a pile of chemicals at this point. Oh, no. So um, Jaster has taken the gold, hidden mm-hmm. it. Oh, Jaster. Um, so according to Wikipedia, Bristol, who is the mastermind of the heist, is shown to be a dangerous man with a knack for computers, a long memory, and who will go at any lengths to find where Jaster hit the gold, including killing <laughs> others. Way to sum it up, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's that character. So, um, he is taken into custody and thrown into the same holdings. Jaster's caught. Mm-hmm. DWI, because he's so distressed about what went down. But he's in the meantime, he has hidden the gold in the Bronx Zoo. Remember that. Mm. Um... That's what he tells Jamie Foxx, who is his cellmate, because Jamie Foxx has been caught in the shrimp robbery. We've already been Jamie Foxx introduced to Jamie Foxx as a guy who every scene he's in goes about two minutes too long of him just kind of riffing on things. Yeah. There's a clear element that everyone on set thought Jamie Foxx was ultra funny and just kept going in riffing on these things. This is something we see in Jim Carrey movies of the of the 90s mm. non-stop robin williams movies late period eddie murphy movies everyone gets really in all judd apatow movies yeah this sometimes improv is not your friend no sometimes, sometimes stick you to the keep, script stick to the script folks <laughs> but they did it robert pastorelli is dragged into a interrogation room by our cops, treasury, mm. treasury psychopath <laughs> Edgar Clinton, which is not a real, not a real not name. A real name. No Cle- Clinton, Clinton. We'll get Clinton. out of here. <laughs> Clinton, clean team, <laughs> clean team. <laughs> the cl- Why didn't they call his crew the clean team? I don't know. Lost opportunity, right, right there. He's yeah. played by the great David Morse, who um, it's just a like the we've met a. A lot of bad cops. And uh, both bad in terms of being dirty and bad just in their skill set is not good. Yeah. Over the course of our show. Turk and Rooster from Righteous Kill. The Yankees breakfast shakedown (laughs) in Sea of Love. (laughs) Yeah, all those goons in Serpico. Yeah, all of the the 85 men. Who don't like Serpico and Serpico? Yeah, um, yeah. Long Island's worst uncles. He, uh, Ethan Hawke and Richard Gere in Brooklyn's yeah. Finest. Mm. We've seen him. Guess what? We're gonna meet more. 
It's coming. Oh yeah. Uh, David Morris is though, right at the hot top. Edgar is right at the top of the list. Yeah, he's up is there. He, he's up there with Turk. Is he dumb and a bad cop? Yes. Is he also abusive and not and doesn't listen to anyone around him? Yes. Both. Yeah, guilty as charged on both yeah. counts. Do like people die indirectly because yes. of his actions? Most so certainly. He's introduced interrogating the shit out of Robert Pastorelli, who is having a heart attack as is going on. His partner, played by the great David Paymer, is like, I don't think he's doing well. Does this yeah. stop David Morse? Not at all. Robert yeah. Pastorelli drops dead. Right there, a heart attack. So it is kind of funny that one moment where, like, you see Robert Pastorelli's just eyes open, just kind of staring at you, and they're like, oh, he's dead. Oops. Whoopsie. Also, it should be noted that there is a moment earlier where they're riffing in this movie where Jamie Foxx and Mike Epps do a bunch of Godfather shit. Oh, yeah, the Fredo. Ban it. Ban it. Ban references to the Godfather in movies. Ban them because... It's also reminded Jamie Foxx's girlfriend in this movie is played by the great Kimberly Elise from Set It Off, oh. where they also have a stupid Godfather scene. Yeah, we don't need these Godfather Get scenes. We're good. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. I don't. Should, here's a question: Should movies exist within movies? Hmm. Hmm. That's a. That's a. It's a tough thought, one. Got to chew on that one. Got to chew on that one for a bit. Think about yeah. it. Email us about that. If you think they should or should not. Like, it's a good question. That goes yeah. back to our, like, inside baseball writer's room and improv scenes in movies. Should, movie, yeah. should movies exist within movies? I should you people... be able to reference, like, say, this is, like, bullshit that Red Notice. Every time Ryan Reynolds is like, this is just like that scene in Fargo. It's like, shut up! That, Do something! Yeah. Throwing a tomato at that one. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, for every one of those, there's uh, a Quentin Tarantino kind of weaving one in yeah. pretty effectively. So Yeah, I know. I think I think it's got to be – maybe it just requires a more nuanced, subtle touch. You need to, you need to take a test or have a license to do it. You need to... Yeah. <laughs> are you a real movie head? Or, are mm. fr- or, or can you only reference, like, Pulp Fiction and The Godfather? If that's mm. it, then you're out. You're out. You're not allowed to do it. Yeah, and also, you 100% shouldn't be allowed to do, like, this is just, like, no family guy jokes. You can't just be like, this is just like X. That's that's too little. Get out of here. Thumbs down. Thumbs down to that. Movies should exist within their own plane. Because that adds a question. It's like, if you reference Pulp Fiction, but then you do, like, John Travolta shows up in your movie, how does that work? Is that a multiverse? Is that everything? Is that what everything everywhere all at once was about? Yeah, it's about John Travolta uh, being around <laughs> in Pulp Fiction, but also a character in like the Taking yeah. of Pelham One, Two, Three. Kind <laughs> of, you know, kind of leaves that quick, but like, yeah, that's yeah, that's turn tip. Yeah, it's like so like when like they play themselves, like when Doogie Howser shows up in Harold and Kumar. Doogie Howser exists as a show, but Neil Patrick Harris exists as a character. See. It's too much, too scary. Mm-hmm. I don't like it's it. Too scary, boy. Mm-hmm. The Academy, they they knew what they were talking about, given that best picture. Everything, everyone. Wants. <laughs> they, they got it right. They got it right. They got uh, it, folks. They got it right. They got it right. Everything, everywhere, all at once in this Academy. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
for that. I'll get, right. I'll get someone else to pay for that. I'll get someone else to pay for it. They're going to arrest me on Tuesday when this podcast comes out. <laughs> okay. Dumb, dumb world. So, uh, Edgar, Detective Edgar, uh, is totally convinced that uh, before he died, Jaster told Alvin where the gold was. Alvin goes to the Slammer for, was it, like nine months? Somehow he has a baby. We were trying to do the math of the baby being born that he doesn't know about while he's in jail. In I don't know. Yeah, it's while he's like... in jail. Get ready, folks. Get ready, folks. <laughs> this is where it gets. This is where business picks up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> business is booming. Business is a booming. Uh, Detective Edgar presents to some Senate subcommittee that he needs a budget. For an experimental tracking device that they can implant in the jaw of someone and know exactly what they're doing at all times. Hmm. It's like a radio. It's also like sonar. It's got it all. And his proposal is this dumb shrimp man. Dumb <laughs> shrimp man. <laughs> this man who can't even steal a fucking bag of He's shrimp. Gonna, like, I, it's a shorter film, but the Senate subcommittee should have said, "No, Detective Edgar, you have been fired. You're a bad detective. You're a bad Treasury detective. You're out. You lost forty-two million dollars in gold. You're an idiot. The suspect, the suspect that we captured, died in your custody. We should have an investigation about that." Yeah. You're out. Also, you're out. You're, we're just Treasury agents. We're not even like the FBI or CIA. What are we I doing? This is my crime scene. I don't want you corrupting any of it. Oh God! He just put on the Rorschach mask. <laughs> Get away! I know. I well, like I watched Dark Knight the other night, and Batman is like, "Get your guys out of here! I don't want them corrupting the crime scene." Same deal, the exact same thing. But he's Batman. It's like this guy's like, just some dork, this guy's some asshole, Treasury agent. I know. Even CIA Treasury agent. Because <laughs> he couldn't get into the CIA. This is a, yeah. This guy gets bullied by IRS agents. Yeah, I know. So Senate Committee is like, yeah, let's do it. Let's like, so we're gonna implant Jamie Fox mm-hmm. in the jaw. So they blast Jamie in the face with a brick in prison, so he can go into surgery to get this thing implanted in his chin. Illegal, not cool. And then he gets set free, and they're like, okay, what we're gonna do? Here's the story, folks. We're gonna send Jamie Fox out there with the knowledge. Everyone's gonna know. Like, we're going to put the word on the street. Jamie Foxx knows where the gold is. This will get fucking Bristol out of hiding to go after Jamie. Jamie's the bait. That is the title. And that's why his name should have been Frank Bait to go back to <laughs> He's stealing shrimp, too. It's the perfect name. It's so it's... stupid. They should have given him the last name of Bait. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's so stupid. But they didn't know they were making a stupid movie because, as you as you said, this is stupid enemy of the state. This is, yeah, this is this is <laughs> the enemy of the state after it's been hit on the head with a couple of coconuts. It <sighs> is not good. So, yeah, yeah. So he's out there. He's out in the wild. He finds out his girlfriend Kimberly Elise, who of course is uh, has no character and works at a bookstore. Mm-hmm. You typical. She's yeah. upset with him. But not that, not that upset with him. He charms, 
charms his way back into her heart. Mm. Kind of. Sort of. I, yeah, well, and... yeah, because he is kind of funny. He's, he's, he's kind... still, he is still Jamie Foxx, so he is a star. You yeah, like him. He, he, <laughs> he has some, but it is like this thing where the, so there's like this whole enemy of the state-esque like operations room kind of following his every yes. move. And... Oh, yeah, get into it here. So David Pamer's there. David Morse is there. Got a couple Davids. Oh, yeah. Uh, our, the original, the, the Malibu's most wanted himself, Jamie Kennedy. He's there. Yes. yes. As, as Treasury as... Agent Bloom. <laughs> yeah. Bloom. Um, second, he's introduced with um, a, a Steve Jobs-esque mock turtleneck and wraparound Oakley's. You know... We are in 1999, 2000. <laughs> yeah, this is it's so funny. This is from that one period where Jamie Kennedy was cast as like a smart nerd. Yeah, which uh, totally had, not believable well, he's now. In, um, he's in Enemy of the State. Oh yeah, isn't he? Isn't he in Enemy? I think he I is. Think, think Seth you're Green right. is, and um, is he in? We could discuss. This is easy. We can figure this out. I'm yes, yes. He's in a Jamie in it. Yeah. Okay, so they like, must have saw him in that and been like, "Yeah, be in this one." That's this, but that's bait in a nutshell. I yeah. saw you in this, so do this. Exactly. Oh yeah, it's like they saw David Morse play like a crooked cop in a previous movie, and they were like, "Hey." Or actually, honestly, what happened was they saw him in Green Mile and were like, "Hey, we've worked with you before. You'd probably be okay in this role." Yeah, you're in The Rock. You're good. You could do yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> And um, other character, other actors. We have um, Nestor Serrano, Treasury Agent Boyle, Megan Dodds, Treasury Agent Walsh. They're all listening in. It they're hacking mm. the mainframe. You've seen it. You've seen it yeah. a million times before. <laughs> oh god, there's something about like the music in this movie too that feels like it just it feels like public domain. So the music. score in this one is by Mark Mancina, who. We have met before. Did some work on Days of Thunder. Did some work on True Romance. Probably it did Bad Boys. Um, did Money Train. Oh, Train's coming. Con Air was in the mix on Con Air. Um, probably best known though for his score for dun, 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 dun. Speed. Mm. Not covered, but Speed is a um, canonical adjacent Academy Academy movie. Without oh, question, yeah. maybe the only movie of this era. Oh, he, and he does Training Day momentarily here. Yeah, and he's not. He, he's not like he's done good stuff before. He's yeah. not a bad like. Uh, he's not a bad uh, composer by any stretch of the term. I think this one was just kind of like uh, I know a movie I'm doing. I as know how him, much work as I with, put it. As with everything else in this movie, everything is getting a little long in the tooth. Yeah. The, Surveillance action comedy of the Simpson Bruckheimer origin. It's all starting to get a little long in the tooth. It's all starting to get to a copy of a copy of a copy. Oh, yeah. Type realm. Like, it's all we've seen it before. And there's maybe a reason these movies started to lose their audience. Mm. a bit they get a little tired and this is a prime example gone in 60 seconds prime example of mm. kind of this oh 
Like this was really fun with bad boys. This was really fun with enemy of the state. This was really fun with con air on the rock. Now it's like even a couple of years later. Oh, those were funner than this. They were a little sharper, a little tighter, a little more thought out. Mm. Um, speaking of thought out, might as well get into it now. Um, in addition to the Shineman, so according to WGA rules, if you see an ampersand, that indicates a writing team, an established writing team. If you see the word and, that means someone who was brought in later on, who had nothing to do with the other writers. So in this movie, is Shineman and Shineman have an ampersand, but then there is an and after that. And that and leads to Tony Gilroy. You know him. You love him. I would call him the enforcer of screenwriters. Almost. Yeah, like, he's he's the guy he... you get in when uh, the job's getting tough. You need a fixer. Yeah, he is a fixer. And, you know, a fixer and a doer. Yeah. Uh, a killer, though. Uh, an absolute killer. I mean, oh, yeah. he, devil's advocate. He came like in, a... he did it on an Armageddon. Did it on bait. Uh, but probably best known... Mastermind of the Bourne series and um, God forever, Michael Clayton. Oof, what a bread. And apparently this Star Wars thing. Oh, Andor, that he, yeah. That he just was involved in. You know, he did some uncredited stuff on Enemy of the State as well. <laughs> he's just, but he's like fixer. this wandering screenwriter Ronin. Uh, yeah. Just working for he's, hire. He's an absolute samurai screenwriter. Yeah. He's like, getting the job done. Getting the job done. We love him. We're fans. Yes. <laughs> We're absolute fans. Like, come on we the show, him. Tony. I bet he's salty too. I bet he's like a tough guy. Oh, he's yeah. like doesn't take shit. You know? Oh yeah. I need to listen cool. to his uh his uh Marin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are your guys? My brothers. Because he's got brothers in the game. Yeah, the his brothers dad, Gilroy. His dad was a big time writer too. Yeah. And, and I like about Tony Gilroy is like he worked as like a bartender before Ooh. he was a screenwriter. He's got that kind of like side to him. A little bit of like a Shane Blackedge, perhaps. Well, uh, like a writer's writer. Yeah, know? I like that. Like uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, Shane Black, like all of that age group who are around 60 right now. Mm-hmm. Just killers. Um, so he did a lot of co-writing on this. He got an executive producer credit, which also screams to me that he got paid well and demanded <laughs> that to come in and do a save here like yeah got yeah he made his paper did it work out sometimes they do sometimes they don't sometimes these things are irredeemable so jamie fox is out on the streets this is where things get confusing uh mike epps wants him back doing like shitty odd jobs so they have to like stop jamie fox from getting arrested so they can get (laughs) this guy out and meanwhile that causes them to run afoul with these two dum-dums, Julio and Ramundo, played by good actors, um, mm-hmm. Kurt Acevedo and J- Jeffrey Donovan. They're in it. They're causing trouble. <sighs> All right. I'm going to – I think I'm going to – I think we're just going to call it. I'm yeah. trying to explain the story. We don't need to. We don't need to. This is like a movie. Guess what? The it's up Jamie Foxx. Yeah. There's a horse at some point. There's, um, Jamie... a horse. There's all. It's over directed all the way through. Mm-hmm. There's seven stuff. There's Tony Scott stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's not Antoine's finest hour. 
Let's just call no. it like it is. He's a he's yeah. a, we like him a lot, but this is not he would probably tell you. Not his finest hour. This is it's it doesn't work. It's a rough movie. It's rough. It's hard yeah. to find uh and it's just one of those things where it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's very... hard to follow, it's too long, it's not as funny as it thinks it is, it's not as action packed as it thinks it is. Yeah. On the action's confusing. All the action there scenes is. are like weirdly hard to follow. Yeah, it's hard to determine who's doing what. Mm-hmm. This is a probably a movie. I'm glad we found it. I'm, you know, as we have with some of these ones over mm-hmm. the course of our time doing this show. Sometimes they work out like a movie like Going in Style. I think back on fondly. My God, that was Very a neat good. movie. Neat movie. Hadn't heard of it before. But then there are, I don't know. We were joking about starting over the other day, but yeah. there they, we have like we've had a few that yeah. are like, or Streets of Gold would be a good example yeah. of like probably justifiably left to the dustbin of cinematic history. Or I'll do anything. Yeah, like yeah, just like just eh, there's like... probably areas nobody goes back mm-hmm. to these things that there is no. I'm sure someone out there, somebody, some. Some baithead. It's like their favorite movie in the world. And good for them. Yeah. If that's the case. You know, God bless you. Uh, hope I hope yeah. you're doing well. Hope maybe it'll get a Blu-ray <laughs> release someday. I didn't even do dreaming. Sorry, we spoiled all this stuff. <laughs> like Um Replacement Killers, you can rent. It's on something called Pluto TV. I've never heard of it. And then there is a Blu-ray. Bait, you could rent on all, any of the services. Only an out-of-print DVD. Wow. Is out there. No Blu-ray in sight for bait. Pro- Hard to say if bait will find its way to a high-definition release yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think uh, Gino Lorber is necessarily clamoring. Yeah, Somebody out there, though, is. Somebody yeah. guaranteed is. This is someone's favorite movie. Somebody finds this both funny and action-packed. Patrick and I are not those people. Uh, this was kind of a slog. To be perfectly yeah. honest, this was, and we knew it. Second, we saw when we clicked on Amazon and saw it was 120 minutes long. I, their red flags <laughs> were flying high. Yeah. And it's just like, I think it's just like, there's like, um, it's just very slow. Like, you could have, like, tried, you could have gotten rid of the Jeffrey Donovan and Kirk. This movie, could have been 90, this movie could have been 95 minutes with ease. Easily. Um, like uh also like the treasury agents get too enamored with alvin too quickly it is crazy how they're just they immediately go from like thinking he's a scumbag to like hey this guy's all okay. right and that friend that brings up the scene that i'm not gonna the... oh so when they so at some point alvin talks his way into having sex with his girlfriend and they're listening in because alvin's got the device in his chin Um. And they all start behaving like they're in like a herbal essences shampoo commercial. Like <laughs> it's insane. Well, except one, except Nestor Serrano, who's like, uh, I think I'm gonna go get a mango smoothie. Yeah, or this like is making this. me very uncomfortable. Like it's get like the room is practically sweating. There's like the Barry White music practically comes <laughs> on. Yeah. And Jamie Kennedy's like looking over at Megan Dodds, like, should we go to the bathroom and make out? It's just insane. 
It's, it's gross. It's gross. Let's put it it's like, insane. It's like it is. It's, it's truly, insane. It's a ludicrous film. This is all like of a... these people became treasury agents, but never heard of sex before, and they're discovering <laughs> it in this moment, and it is exciting. Yeah, like you wonder. Like I guess, like none of them have families. Probably this. They, <laughs> well, yeah, they, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. They're they're following Jamie Fox for six months. It's they're like so... sleeping in the control center. They have they have a scene where David Morse has got like an airplane pillow and a blanket. It's true, and 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 it's the amount of money they spend on Jamie Fox trying to get this other money. Like they probably it... spent forty two million dollars. <laughs> yes, the gold. <laughs> the amount of the gold. They will just occasionally <laughs> create situations to give Jamie Foxx money so he doesn't do crimes. You're right. I think if you if you balance the books with some Hollywood accounting, it, none of this worked out. No. This is this was a terrible operation. Stupid Top to bottom. Stupid. But they still get their man, and then they figure out where the gold is, and then somehow Jamie Foxx gets a cut. To end the movie, like, and him and David Morse are friends. No, don't deserve no. to be friends. If no, I'm no. Jamie Fox, I'm pissed because you put a fucking thing in my tooth. Detective Edgar is probably like the worst hang. If we've talked about it before, like I still can't. I still like haunts me when Tom Brady's like Donald Trump is a friend of mine. I don't necessarily support his politics, but he's my friend. Who is friends uh. with him? He's the worst hang imaginable the guy cheats at everything like any game you play with him he's cheating mm-hmm. like he doesn't party he doesn't drink no he has terrible taste in food he probably like does he doesn't like he doesn't discernibly like anything like yeah so how like i would have bought it be like i don't like him but i like i'm a republican and i don't want to pay taxes i would have bought that more than saying he's my friend it is truly so insane yeah and it is like david morse he's been like a nice like charismatic he's like the movie that he like i was what's the movie he was in with john savage that's really good like his like kind of like his intro inside inside moves yeah he's great in inside moves he's a soulful good actor like he's really like i'm a big fan like i would like love to have him in a movie if yeah, I but this movie just like yeah, just drains the charisma out of it is like truly like and this is a guy who played George Washington and it wasn't hokey. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. It, yeah, and he, he does what he can, but he's just a prick in this yeah. movie. And then at the end, him and Jamie Foxx like just like having a nice <laughs> nice go of it. Like they're just buds. And like again. When Gene Hackman's showing his skinny ass pale legs at the end of Enemy of the State, and Will Smith's like, man, my man's at the beach. I love it. You yeah. buy it. You buy that they have developed a bond and become friends. <laughs> Not at all in this movie. Um, you know, we don't like to like fire off a movie. This movie stinks. We're yeah. not that kind of show. This movie's not that great, though. It's no. it's, a, it's tough. It's it's you know it's it's on the Gallo Walker side of things. It's just it's not a fun, and it just doesn't have like um. There's sometimes a bad movie can be very entertaining because at least it's like trying some like really crazy weird things. This movie doesn't try. I think it's like this movie. I think on the on the Antoine Fuqua front, 
he's trying so much because I think everyone is trying so much because they all know they have a lemon on their hands from oh, the start. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he's over directing it. Jamie Foxx is overdoing the comedy. They're all in that like this is a lemon. We're trying yeah. to make lemonade. It's not happening, man. It might be a classic example of work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. Makes you think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, Patrick, bring it. Uh, interesting fun fact mm-hmm. here. You know who was originally cast as Detective Edgar? Oh, who? Oh my God, is that Whistler's music? Chris yes! Christopherson. <laughs> it's me, Whistler. Whistler. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> plant some bug in your fucking chin. <laughs> I'm gonna put some serum into your yeah. chin. <laughs> you know, we're gonna do this a lot easier with just a shot of serum. <laughs> and then afterwards, you're gonna take me to this 38 special concert. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bristol, the bad guy du jour. He's like a buffet yeah. of. He's a buffet of bad guy. Yeah, yes. just a buffet of quirks. When you go to the old country buffet and you're picking out <laughs> bad guys, well, a little bit of a serial killer, a little bit of a computer hacker. Yeah. Ooh, let's grab a little bit of just general creep. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple screams. I'm throw some yeah. screams in there. Um, Doug Hutchison, character actor, mm-hmm. uh, known for playing goons and creeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in Green Mile. Probably um, his most known, like, mainstream. Yeah, I'd say, like, that and, like, his role in Lost. He plays, like, a character, like, a flashback character in Lost. and He's in Con Air as well. Really? I don't even remember him. I don't remember him in Con Air either. Um, Went to Juilliard. Actor's actor. Uh, In 2011, at the age of 51... He received widespread criticism when he married a 16-year-old. Uh, ew. 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 <laughs> ew, Fucking <Doug>. gross. Uh, <laughs> God. And he's probably um most known for that at this point. Uh, uh, yeah, bad news. Um, she was in an acting class that he taught, and, and it seems like both of them are... Um, Lunatics. Bad news lunatics. Oh, no. That just seems bad. Yeah. yeah. You can look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't want to go into this in any more detail. I'm already, like, feeling bad. Need to. Yeah. We don't We're need good. to. It's, like, it's, you, he's you've bad. probably heard about this, though. This was a pretty common tabloid fodder. One person who hadn't was Jen. Mm. When we watched the movie, she's like, Who's that guy? I'm like, oh, look him up. And I just let that letter look him up. And she went down a rabbit hole of like, oh, that's <gasps> bad. I was like, yes, that's bad. I think it's like crazy that like he was like in an episode of I Zombie in 2019. Like, what is no? It is interesting the kind of. This is like, yeah, a good example, too, of. Kind of the way things have changed beyond cinema. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that him and uh, Pastorelli like continued, yeah. This, which of course today, with either of their accusations, we'll call mm-hmm. it, would be done. Yeah, absolutely done. Yeah, like, the internet Office. would have a field day with both of these stories, mm-hmm. nonstop. Mm-hmm. They did in Hutchison's case, but they absolutely would have with the Robert Pastorelli case. 
too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, crazy. This movie's crazy. This, yeah. The entire thing is crazy. It's hard. It's hard to believe. We couldn't believe. I couldn't believe. It took me forever to watch it. it felt like it took days. Um, yeah, you said you painful. watched it days ago, and you barely believe it's real. Yeah, it feels point. like a, a weird dream at this point because it's just like it's such a. Yeah, just like it's great. Greatest set is it's kind of generic. It's just a generic, and it's just other movies do all the stuff this movie's trying much in a much better and more memorable we've, fashion. We've we have covered them. Yeah, 100%. absolutely covered them. Uh, most people agreed. Uh, this movie was budgeted at fifty-one million dollars. It made fifteen million at the box office. Uh, that's a huge financial failure in mm-hmm. any kind of accounting system. That is a huge financial failure. Um, open at number two at the box office. It's opening weekend. Uh, behind the Watcher. I don't know if you remember that one. The movie, a fascinating movie in which Keanu Reeves plays a serial killer. And the cop trying to catch him is James Spader. One would feel that those roles should be reversed. Yeah. <laughs> In most situations, you would feel yeah. those would be reverse roles. Um, yeah. James but not, Spader def- not in yeah. 2000's The Watcher, in which anything was possible. Mm. I never saw it. I'd like to see it. Yeah. If, they never, ever do it, if, if they ever do Keanu-a-thon at New Beverly, I bet they play The Watcher. Oh, for sure. For sure. And we would be like, in the bathroom line, everyone would be like, I hope they play The Watcher. Oh, yeah. Like, in between, like, you know, it's like, okay, we saw the the, the trailer for Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, yeah, so and, we we're know that that they're, and we're bummed they're not playing Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, has a great iced tea performance, as someone's saying to, yeah. to us in the line. Oh, we're trying to, like, focus on not peeing our pants or whatever. Yeah, peeing our pants <laughs> and thinking about, man, do I need more Reese's Pieces? <laughs> yeah, do I? Should I get a third? <laughs> third my, te- of... my teeth currently hurt. But I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, my body is revolting against me, but I'll go for another hot dog. Why not? Too many soda classics. I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, huh, well, when in Rome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, bait has a 26% mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Even though Jamie Foxx shines in bait, the movie suffers from music video roots and formulaic script that strains credibility. Mm. Yeah. They all do their best. Guess what? Ebert gave it three stars. Oh, wow. He wrote, it's over It's over the top, an exercise in action comedy that cuts loose from logic and enjoys itself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Oh. I, like, I like that Ebert's like, I feel like Ebert's kind of rooting for Antoine a little bit. I like that. I, he, he wants to have a good time. Yeah. And when he, he gets mad... When he's not allowed to have a good time. He gave it thumbs up, though. He said, Bait is a deadpan action comedy with a little Hitchcock, a little Bond, and a lot of attitude. What? <laughs> put, okay. Put that, put that on the poster, baby. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I would love... Okay, they got to do like a release of this on Blu-ray 4K and just like huge block letters, that that quote. He, um, he said, it's one of those movies where... You, where you start out thinking you've seen it all before, and the longer it runs, the less you've seen before. That's because probably because everything is in it. Yeah, like <laughs> like they they use everything in movie that has been in an action movie before. It is literally yeah they are they you know they they're grabbing every straw and it's every 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 opportunity is taken. 
Um, he also he also compares Bristol with Keanu Reeves' character in The Watcher in his room. <laughs> in his review <laughs> because they came out simultaneously so we reviewed them simultaneously oh man it was like a, a classic deep impact armageddon situation some will argue that the climax <laughs> at the racetrack is preposterous they will be right <laughs> <laughs> we probably oh, yeah. can we've probably convinced like five of our listeners they're gonna watch bait <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might have started the the beta sons. Yeah, we accidentally we we've uh, we're like in the Hellraiser movie, except instead of Pinhead, we get just copies of Bait on Blu-ray come out of the box. Edgar Quentin comes out. Yeah, that's what we've unleashed. <laughs> oh, no, don't put anything in my teeth. Yeah, vinegar syndrome's <laughs> all of a sudden putting it out like a five disc 4K <laughs> restoration. Fifteen, yeah, Criterion Collection. Yeah. Um, you know what the interesting thing to me though as we move on and finish finish things up here is that I think it's fortunate that this didn't happen but I'm a little surprised the cynic in me wonders how close Antoine Fuqua was to being thrown in permanent director's jail Mm. because usually historically sadly very tragically when a director of color or a female director has a flop this big they're usually not invited back yeah and i'm glad he thank god <laughs> you know yeah. he, he like beat the beat the racist numbers and you know he has uh, continued to have a career and make cool movies after this one because this one would kill has killed lesser careers yeah and like better movies have killed lesser careers yeah except yeah plenty of them yeah uh, but I think it does help that his very next movie, the very next year, he probably had it in the running, is arguably we're gonna. I mean, some of these directors were getting to their best movie a little bit later on. Arguably, his best movie, Training Day. Oh, yeah. we're doing next in for Antoine, in our Antoine Fuqua series. So I'm, and I know we're pumped for this because hey, we I, everyone loves this movie <laughs> I, mean, like, I love this movie in high school yeah. i love this movie in college i remember like yeah. making my friends like sit down and awkwardly watch this movie with me this movie is a certified slapper a soda classic it rules and we're gonna cover it soon i'm excited because i think it's really he comes into his own i think he finds the style he's looking for mm-hmm. which is a kind of like a grimmer tone I don't yeah. know. I actually that might be too. Is the the lighter com- comedic elements? I don't know if he is as equipped for. It might just not be his thing. Yeah, he's a little but, more like uh, he's a little more. I don't know if it's necessarily like you know rooted in reality more, but it's like yeah, it's grittier. His worldview, yeah. but it's an action stoicism kind mm. of style to his you know the samurai. If yeah, yeah. Mm. Tony Gilroy. Mm. Tony Gilroy. Kurt Kurosawa, or we've come full circle. <laughs> Chow Yun Fat, we've come full circle. We're back, folks. We're back. We're back. <laughs> we, I love our show. Every week we learn something terrible about someone involved in our movies. <laughs> yes, it's like, oh. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, oh, uh, turns out this guy is like, uh, was Hitler's son or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy who wrote this, also, son of Gables. What? <laughs> yeah, son of Gates. Son of Gates. Yeah, the guy wrote Gates. Son of Gates. Ooh. Ooh. Whoopsie. Feel, uh, whoopsie doopsie. How did he get a job in Hollywood? 
Nepo baby. That's <laughs> <laughs> Operation Paperclip, just the oh, ultimate sh- nepotism. <laughs> yeah, it's like this Dr. Sidney Gottlieb's son wrote like six Big Bang theories. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> Allegedly. No, no, no. We're joking. We're joking. Joking. It's satire. It's humor. Yeah, comedy. Big comedy. Bang wasn't written by uh, comedy. by Brazilian Germans. No way. Yeah, no, no way. way. <laughs> no way. Not at all. We don't we're yeah. not we don't we don't think that. Became, not at all. Uh, I like the idea that Big Bang Theory was an MK Ultra <laughs> operation. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna like <laughs> God. Anytime it's Sheldon says Bazinga, people just start, you know, that, fulfilling that tr- the plans. That, that, yeah, that triggers an operation in Peru or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's why the Arab Spring happened. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, anyway, <laughs> we're not that kind of podcast. We're talking. Uh, we're, oh, mirthful. The, we're mirthful. We're mirthful. All right. So <laughs> if you disagree, and Bait is your favorite movie, and you want to tell us why. I want to hear from you. Patrick wants to hear from you. Check in mm-hmm. with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Acad Acad. I want to know. Is mm-hmm. is Pete your favorite movie? Are you showing replacement killers at your next movie night? It'll play well. It'll play well there. You'll have fun. Mm-hmm. It's a soda banger. Um next week on the show, though, we are switching gears. Uh in a big way. Um we're going to be returning to the world of Ridley Scott next week and his film Kingdom of Heaven. Ooh. Kingdom of Heaven from 2005. Kingdom of Heaven, uh, we will be watching. So I have it here, Patrick. Mm-hmm. It's on the screen. Just got oh, it. Oh, wow. This nice. is the ultimate edition of Kingdom of Heaven. There were three versions released of this movie. The original theatrical version. Mm-hmm. which mind you is um 144 minutes long then long. there's the director's cut which is 190 minutes long that's goodness long. yeah that's, that's a, long. a long boy that's a long boy then there is the director's cut roadshow version which includes huh. a um intermission and an overture in classic roadshow fashion. Wow. This is 194 minutes long. I'm going to be watching the roadshow version of Got this to. and provide a full report. We are going to be covering, though, in general, because I think the roadshow doesn't add much material beyond the intermission and so forth. We're going to be covering the director's cut because we want to get deep into director's cuts and the entire idea of these, this, are they better? Are they worse? Do they matter at all? What is it you're trying to prove with the director's cut? Was it taken away from you? Were you indecisive? All these choices. This yeah, comes on the heels. Issues. This comes on the heels of the internet being convinced that every movie has a better version that is being suppressed, mm. which we've seen, of course, most famously in this Snyder cut thing. Oh man. Yeah. And we'll talk about all of it. I'm excited. This is a fun, hot movie topic. And it's going to be centered around kingdom of heaven, a movie I rented 
upon release in 2005 for my local Hollywood video. And I did not really like. So, um, <laughs> what did you think? Did you like it? I, I, yeah. You seem like a Kingdom of Heaven head, maybe. I actually have not seen Kingdom. It's oh, a type of movie. It seems like your kind of movie. I, it's the type of movie I would like because I loved, like, yeah, loved Gladiator, loved Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like those sword and sandals epics, and this is definitely like in that realm. But I just you I like think his like history or history. You're a buff. I love me some history here and there, but uh, just for some reason, it just uh, I think like. I never saw like commercials for this movie or like, I feel like it just kind of like flew over my head. It's like a tough sell. This is a little esoteric history. This is not as easy. This is not easy history. Yeah. This isn't like like Julius Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're heading into like last duel realm here Mm -hmm. of Ridley or duelists even Mm. realm. I'm excited though. I'm excited to revisit it. Everyone says this director's cut is the banger. So that's what we're Mm going to be watching. The director's cut is available to rent on like Amazon and all those places. That's how yeah. known it is. So you can get you get your hands on it. I didn't pay that much more than a rental on Amazon for this Blu-ray that I'm holding up. So if you want to get a copy on Blu-ray that has all the features, that's out that's out there too. There's a lot of features. Check out what's mm. going on with that. Week after that, we got a, a really fun one coming up. Um, I'm gonna call it the taking of podcast one, two, three. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, not only are we going to be taking a look at Tony Scott's hard hitting remake of the Tiger King of Pelham 1, 2, 3, currently on Netflix. Mm. Folks, we're going to watch the 1974 Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, the classic Walter Matthau, currently on apparently HBO Max and Tubi. So it's out there. Check Thank it you, out. Tubi. Also, though, did you know that there is a 1998 television version of The Taking of Pelham 123 that's available now on the Roku channel? Did you know that? I, 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 I knew I didn't know it was on the Roku channel. I didn't even know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. This one has got Edward James Olmos, Vincent D'Onofrio. Donnie Wahlberg and Lorraine Bronco. Oh my God. I'm excited. We're going to be watching that too. We're watching all of them. We're doing the entire damn thing. And I'm thinking we're probably going to weave them. We're not going to, you know, we're going to just compare and contrast all the way through. So get your kicks Mm. and check out all of the taking of Pelham one, two, threes. I can't speak for the 98 one, but I can speak for the 74 and the Tony versions. I like both. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to rewatch Tony. We just saw it in the theater at Jen's Elephon, but it's it was on a Netflix. Treat. It's a treat. It's a treat of a film. Great performances. You know, that's getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it's got, it's got Academy Academy favorites, Denzel Washington, John Travolta, and James Gandolfini and John Turturro. How could we not like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be covering all those coming up here. Um. Wow, feel like we've been on a journey, but now we never have to think about bait again. <laughs> no, it's true. But Antoine Fuqua will return to the show in the weeks to come. We're going to be looking at all of his oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some of these ones I never saw before. I've never seen Southpaw. I've never oh. seen The Equalizer Part 2. I've never seen King Arthur, all of which... 
I'm excited about. I have, I gotta say, I have seen King Arthur and I've seen Southpaw, and I'm excited to talk about those <laughs> movies with you. And what is infinite? Who knows? We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Is that like a uh, is that like a sequel to Transcendence? Like what what are, what's happening? It's got uh Mark Wahlberg. Okay. In it. And it's some oh. sci-fi thing. Jason Manzukis is in it. Ooh. Just saw he, him as the TikTok he, man and he played well in this three. one, he plays the artisan. Oh god. Get ready. Enough of these names. Enough of this shit. Yeah, I don't need to like <laughs> learn about guns from someone named the botanist or the fucking yeah. the, the sommelier. Just have uh, a yeah. gunman. Dave. Dave. Yeah. Dave gunman. What What happened to classic American? You know, salt of the earth names like Edgar Clentine. Yeah, Edgar Clentine. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> what was the other guy? Ja- Norm Jaster. Whatever happened to names De- like Detective Stan Zito Zedkov. Yeah, whatever happened to just hardworking guys named Zedkov and Jaster. I like Danny. Danny Trejo is Collins in uh, the Replacement Killers. Danny Trejo does not strike me as a Collins, but you know he's awesome in it. We didn't even get into that how rad he is, and he should have been he- in a Terminator movie. Yeah, he rules. He, I think he only, he literally has like one line, and that's all he needs. Yeah, it's all he needs. He's got cool long hair, and he's got all sorts of machine guns and stuff. He looks great. Yeah. He's awesome. <sighs> okay, <sighs> that's it for this week. <laughs> we'll call it a day. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, before we leave, just want to say, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Don, but sometimes when I'm, you know, I get bored when we're podcasting, so I'll just, I'll have another video up, and I'll be watching Big Bang Theory, and uh, I just got to my favorite part when. Uh, <laughs> Parson says Bazinga, and uh, <laughs> did, did you know that like Bolivia has a lot of lithium? <laughs> you know that like I, I just do you know that like I, I maybe we should do so. I don't know. Just thinking mm-hmm. about this, maybe someone needs to do something about. It. I just I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Every time, always think about it whenever I watch yeah, Big Bang. I'm Theory. feeling I'm feeling a little motion in my chin <laughs> right now, and I think uh, the asset has been unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Bolivia. For Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. Bazinga! Oh, people, they ask me why the hell you want to leave. I'm saying that they'll miss me, that they're going to grieve. This town is number one. We got the Lakers and the sun. There's always lots of lovelies, always lots of fun. Oh, why won't you settle down and stay? Well, who in the right mind would ever leave a late? But I gotta tell you, got to put it straight. Still busted out of there, busted down the gate. Cause I had to get out while there was going to get. LA was the hunt, the California was an end, so.